Uh, good morning, church. So good to see you guys this morning. Can you guys just stand with me really quickly? And I want to just take a moment to welcome everybody here today. Welcome you not into a church service, but into the presence of a king. And in the midst of uh, all the craziness of life at the moment, all the things that swirl around us, if we can just take a few moments today and just maybe breathe. Just breathe. Just breathe. There's something powerful about knowing that he and he alone is God. And he's worthy of our praise. You know, I was uh, reading 2 Chronicles 20 this morning before I came in. And there's this amazing verse where the, the enemy is getting ready to attack and the king decides to do something unconventional. He sends the worship team out first. And when worship proceeded the, onto the battlefield, it gave the enemy no ground to stand upon. And, and, and I want to encourage you this morning that as we begin to worship, that, that as we begin to lift up our hands and our hearts to our God today, to recognize that as worship goes out, it gives no ground for the enemy to stand on. There's nothing left that he has dominion over because when we begin to worship, our God invade that place of worship. The Bible says he dances around us. It's, it's why I tell the team all the time, and, and when we talk about worship, not just being stationary, because it's not because it's a modern kind of cool thing to do. It's because God is not stationary when we worship. The Bible says God dances with us, that there's this movement of God that happens. Man, we get to join God in the dance. Church should not be like a middle school dance. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where a few girls in the middle dance and all the, everybody else sitting on the walls. Get to join God in his dance today. Let's give the enemy no room. No room. My God is a faithful God. My God is a mighty God. Our God is King of kings and Lord of lords. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus today. We may have gone through some bad times, but we're standing in the midst of a good God. He deserves our praise and our glory today. So whether you're in this room or maybe you're online right now, Maybe you're in a hospital room or a hotel room or your living room or your bedroom. Can I invite you to join us today? Invite you to join us in worship and lifting up your hearts and your voices where you are. Because the same God that's in this room is the same God that's in your room. And the love of God transcends all time and space. And he is with you right here and right now. Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are a good God. I thank you that your love never fails. Thank you that you are faithful and true every time to your word. I thank you that you know every hair on our head and that we are engraved on the very palm of your hand. 
that you cannot forget us because every time you look at your hands, you see us. So we're going to lift up our holy hands to you today to give you praise. As we look at our hands, we look past them and unto you because you're worthy of glory and honor and power and praise. Jesus, come and be glorified in this room today. Move among us and in us and through us, Lord God. Let your name be glorified high above the heavens. Today we want to join with the angels. Give you glory. Doesn't matter how we came in, Lord God. Today we choose to lift up our hands and our hearts to you. In Jesus' name. And together in faith we say amen and amen. Amen, 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 amen. Hey, church, come on, can we just, let's just push in a little bit today. Let's just remember we stand in an audience of one. And let's just give him the glory that's to his name.
Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord God, you're alive. Jesus, that, that's our hope. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. Our hope is built not simply that you died for us. Our hope is based on the fact that even death couldn't hold you down. That you on the third day rolled the stone away and rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and are reigning today over heaven and over earth, over things visible and invisible. Our hope is in you. Our hope is not for something. Our hope is in someone, the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's why we have hope. Today, Daddy, we have hope in you. Let that hope, Daddy, arise in us. Let hope arise in us. Let hope arise in us. Holy Spirit, come. Shatter every pretension. Every accepted reason. Every addiction. Every lie that we believe, Lord God, that keeps us far from you puts our trust and our hope in ourselves. Today, Lord God, we proclaim in this place that our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in the cross, the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ, the grace and love that flows from it. The empty tomb is our hope today, Lord God. The, 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 the king seated at the right hand of the Father is our hope today. Our hope is that he is not staying in heaven, but one day will step back out on the clouds and come to take his children home to transform this world once again. Our hope is in Jesus. Jesus. There is no other name, no other name, no other name, no other name. Sometimes, church, we just have to say the name. Sometimes you just got to say the name. I'm not ashamed of that name. His name is Jesus. Sometimes it's the name of Jesus that just shatters things. It, it break, he's the breaker of chains. He's, he's the releaser of souls. He, he, he's the healer of bodies. Sometimes we just have to say the name Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Woo! Church, one time I remember I was, in, I was uh, just out of college and I was in my room and I felt the, gr the greatest darkness I've ever felt in my life. The greatest darkness I've ever felt in my life. And I couldn't speak. Have you ever had one of those where you couldn't speak? It was so dark, so heavy. And all that could, I could shout, all that I could say is, Jesus! And the moment the word left my lips, the darkness fled from the room. Hallelujah. Now, it's not me. It's the power of the name. That, that, that force wasn't responding to my faith. He was responding to the name. The name has power. No matter what you're facing today, that name has power. I was so encouraged by what Sharon preached last week. That name has power. That name has power. And he is faithful to the name. He's faithful to the name. So, Father, let your kingdom come today and let your will be done. In our lives, we give you full and open, full and open space in our lives to do what you want to do. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in this place as it is in heaven. 
And if you agree with that, say amen with me. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen and amen. Come on, let's give God one shout of praise. Let's tell him he's a great God this morning. Hallelujah. What a great God we serve. Oh, I'm so glad you're in the house today. I'm so glad you are here. I'm so glad you're watching online if you're there. I believe God has something powerful to do today in us. He is wooing you to him today. He's wooing you to him today. You know, before we're seated, I just want to take one moment to honor the veterans that are in this room and those that are watching online. The men and women who have served and still are serving, no matter what battlefront that you've been on, you have stood in the gap for others. Thank you so much. We honor you. You know, Jesus is a mighty warrior dressed for battle. The Bible records all the valor, uh, 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 all the deeds of the, of the warriors of valor of David. Jesus recognizes the faith of a centurion. We should absolutely be honoring the men and women who stand in the gap. What a great, thank you, thank you. If you are a family member, thank you. If you are, if you are a, a parent and have, are trusting God to watch over your son or daughter when they're on a battlefield, thank you. Thank you, thank you, we honor you. Just as we honor the one who stands and fights for us, his name is Jesus. Well look, this church is about being family as well. So as you're being seated, just take a few moments. Turn to someone next to you. Give them an air high five or a fist pump or an elbow bump or whatever you feel comfortable with. But let them know that, man, it's good to have them here. There's so much going on in the life of church. Before I hop into the word, I just wanted to, to invite you into something. Um, because at church, it's not about what we do. It's about how we live our lives together. That this is us living life well together. You've, if you've been around Connect for a while, you've heard me say that time and time again. That church isn't about a Sunday morning event. It's about learning to live life well together. And so I want to just take a moment to invite you to be a part of something that we do as a family that uh, makes a difference in people's lives. You know, it, it's, it's, it's that time of year again where Christmas is right around the corner. Has anyone else other than my wife and I started to put out Christmas decorations? I know we're freaks. It's okay. It's all right. I've had a Christmas tree up in my house for like two weeks now. Um, and we, that's only one. We have many more coming. But uh, for us, one of, it means one of the things that we do as a church is that uh, it's one of my favorite things that we get to do is our annual Christmas toy store uh, for families. And, uh, you know, what that means is this. We, over the years, we have uh, been able to give toys, countless toys away to families both in this house and in our community uh, to just get behind families and stand next to them during this time. And... This year, we're, going to need, we're doing it in a little bit of a different way, and we're using some wisdom to do it probably earlier than we usually do it, um, taking in consideration all the craziness with shipping and trying to get toys and toy shortages. Who would ever know that we have, like, who would think in America we would have toy shortage? It's craziness. But, but that's what's going on. And so we don't want to make this a burden for our families. We want to make this a blessing. So what we're going to do this year is we're going to do two things that 
uh, are, are really important. We're going to actually just give away gift cards so that the families, the moms and the dads, the families can, can actually go and buy uh, the toys for their children. Or um, do, we're going to do it early enough so with shipping, because I tried to get something shipped for Christmas and it's like uh, December 17th, it'll be there. I'm like, that's ordering it now. It's craziness. So we're going to give gift cards, and we're going to do it early. Um, so the, the Christmas toy store this year is going to be December 5th. December 5th at 6 o'clock. Uh, we're going to have it here um, at the facility, uh, both it, partly inside and outside as well. We're partnering with our ministry, uh, Thy Kingdom Crumb, for Christmas food boxes. And we're, we have hot chocolate and donuts to give away. And we want to be able to give as much as we can to families in our community. Just to be able to bless them. To be a part of giving dignity back to people. And so there's three ways that you can participate, um, and all of them you can find on Linktree. All of them you can find on Linktree. There'll be video up uh, afterwards today on all our media streams with all the links you can get be a part of, but you can always get on Linktree even now. Um, number one is this. You can nominate your family or a family that you may know who needs a little extra Christmas cheer this year. And you know what's so beautiful about being part of a family is that sometimes, sometimes, you are the person who is getting blessed. And sometimes you're the person who gets to bless. Yeah. And that's just doing life. That's part of life in seasons. Yeah. So if this year you are a person that uh, needs a little extra Christmas cheer or has a family that has, come on. Go, go to Linktree. All the information will be there. And we will be ecstatic to be able to be a part of celebrating Christmas with your family. The second way is to sign up. To sign up to, uh, to, to minister that night, to serve that night, to be a part of that night, right? Give away hot chocolate and wave to people and thank them for coming and just give some Christmas cheer. It's just a, a few hours of your night. Just sign up to be a part of creating an environment where people feel loved. Especially people who may not ever have stepped foot in this church before. Yeah. And the third way is that you can actually give. You can give generously. Church, I'm going to ask you to give generously to this. I don't want to make a little drop in the bucket for a family. I want to bless a family. I want to make sure that they feel the overwhelming presence of what church can do, out of what a body can do. And so you can give uh, just, there, there's, there's ways on all of our, um, all of our, all of the sources to give. You can, you can do that. But can I really encourage you? Give generously. Now, remember, it's December 5th, so we need to be giving now. Um, and I'm, I'm really, I cannot wait. I, I, if you've never been a part of Toy Store, it's one, of the, it's, one of, it's one of the best things that we do. I love it. And it's just one other way for us to share the love of Jesus. You know, the Bible says, don't be a receiver only. Be a giver. Don't just receive. Give. And this is a great way to do it. So... I, I want to encourage you, uh, be one of those three people, right? Or you can be all three of those people, by the way. You can sign up to get, you can sign up to give, and you can sign up to serve. It's all beautiful. All right? Is that good? Will you be praying for that? Believing for God to do something supernatural? Hey, this would be a great way to, to reach out to a neighbor in your life. Uh, you know, I have neighbors uh, that we constantly take TKC food boxes to. They haven't come to church yet, but that's not my purpose in bringing them a food box. My purpose in bringing them a food box is to say, hey, I see you, I love you, I want you to know Jesus loves you too. That's just a way. 
Well, I hope you're ready for the word today. Are you guys ready for the word today? Because I'm, 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 I'm ready to share the word today. If you, since you have your Bible, can you open with me to Acts chapter 19? Acts chapter 19. Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. It's written by Luke, who's a disciple of Jesus. And if you need a, a, a title for today's message, it's Quieting the Riot. Quieting the Riot. I've never, I've got to be honest, I've never been in a riot. Um, the closest thing I've ever been to in a riot was uh, my senior year in high school. Uh, it was at a wrestling match at Lenape High School. And, uh, you know, I went to Cherokee, and Lenape and Cherokee are not always um, friends. And, and so at the end of the wrestling match, the, everybody clear, the stands cleared. There was this big hullabaloo in the middle of the, uh, of, the, of, the, of the floor. And, you know, yep, people were being pushed and shoved, and punches were being thrown, and the police dogs came in to separate everything. And, you know, in that setting, right, you, you get all bowed up. Right? Your ego gets involved. You're like, yeah, that's right. I could have taken the whole thing, right? And so your, your ego gets in the way. But I've never been in the midst of a riot. I can't imagine the fear and the dread that must have happened at the World Festival as thousands of people rushed the stage and trampled and crushed people. And in our mind, we have to begin to say, why would, who would do that? Why would we act that way? Well, there's a thing that scientists call mob mentality. It's something that happens inside of humanity that when a group of people start thinking or moving in a certain direction, that we end up following along many times. And we end up doing things we swore we'd never do. We act ways we never thought that we would act before in our lives. And it happens in our life all the time in all sorts of ways. When our emotions start to riot, when we get in the middle of the mob of our circumstances, when we're stampeded by situations outside of our control, very often we find ourselves thinking and doing things we swore we wouldn't do. Right? I mean, how, how many times has, have, have, have when maybe it's a spouse, your spouse says something that triggers you, and all of a sudden you respond, oh, I'm the only one. This happens to me and Dee all the time. I mean, she'll be like, say something. And it's not, cannot, usually it's not even about her. Come on. But, uh, but there's so much of a riot of emotion inside of me at times that I've left unchecked by the grace of God that even in innocent people, innocent people feel the wrath of Kyle rather than the love of God from Kyle. Maybe, maybe sometimes it's, it's, it, uh, something happens in a relationship and, and our natural response to be offended or we're so overwhelmed by work that we snap at a co-worker. These are all results of the riot of a mob mentality, the riot of emotion. It happens in our spiritual lives as well all the time. Especially after a week like last week where Sharon shared so much about faith and trust in the miraculous power of God. And we hear things like that, and all of a sudden inside of us, these voices, this riot starts to happen. How can that be true? How can I make that happen? What if it doesn't happen? How about if God doesn't do what I think he should do, enter the riot? In this text we're going to look at, in Acts chapter 19... The Apostle Paul goes into Ephesus, the city 
And he begins to preach the good news. And when Paul and the gospel get into the city, God starts to move in a powerful way and it starts to stir the city. And immediately, the immediate response from the city when God started to do something was to riot, to cause such commotion to shut it down. That's what the enemy wants to do. This is what we have to recognize as disciples of Jesus. That when we get into the presence, when God starts to do something in us, when God wants to do something through us, when God starts to do something around us and maybe call us into a deeper walk with him, call us into more intimacy with, with him, automatically the enemy starts to cause commotion around you. We'll start to have, man, how many of you, you'll, have, you'll get a flat tire. You're like, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, tonight I'm, I'm going to get home early. I'm going to go to Forge. I'm going to go to shoulder to shoulder. I'm going to make it to church. You, get, you walk out the door, there's a flat tire on your car. The enemy will do everything and anything to try to cause you to become distracted from what God is trying to do in you. The riot of emotion. And before we know it, we know what the Bible says, but we get so caught up in the mob mentality that we're responding even to God wrong. And here's the, the worst part about it. And I can say this, I, I've done this so often in my life. The worst part about it is that we end up spending, wait, not spending, wasting so much time striving or struggling or trying to reason out what God's going to do or trying to convince God to do what you want him to do. We, spend, we waste so much time in all of that, it's time we can never get back with him. We spend so much time in the commotion and we lose the intimate connection. It's wasted time. I love what Jay Hudson Taylor, my favorite missionary who started China Inland Mission, he said this. This quote changed my life when I read it. True faith is neither striving nor struggling to be in Christ. It's simply realizing you're already there and abiding in it. Oh my gosh, my friends, I strive. I struggle. I try to convince. I try to rationalize rather than just abiding. I'm already there. How much time have we wasted in the commotion when we could simply be sitting in the midst of the connection. We have to learn to quiet the riot. Let's look at this verse together. Starting verse 23. It says, about that time, after Paul was preaching, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way, concerning Christianity. That's what it was called, the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in the similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made, uh, that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is a danger, not only in this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple... Of the, god, the great goddess Artemis, there was the seventh wonder of the world was standing there, the temple of Artemis itself. He's saying, this may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be disposed from her magnificence. She whom all Asia and all the world worships. 
When they heard this, they were enraged and started crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with confusion. You can underline that. They rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were companions of Paul's. I'm going to stop there. Can I ask you this question? Doesn't this seem like a little bit of an overreaction? I mean, let me, let me set the stage for you just a little bit. I mean, we're talking about Ephesus here. How much business were these people going to lose from Paul and a handful of people who weren't going to buy their goods? This city is the second largest city in the world at the time. Over 250,000 people lived in the city. It was an international port like New York, like Miami, like Philly. People from all over the globe were coming and going and coming and going. Doesn't this seem like a little bit of an overreaction to a one message that's being preached in the street? I wonder why there was an overreaction. Because the reality is, my friends, when the Spirit starts to move in us and around us, it threatens to shake up the culture that we have called our home. When the Spirit starts to move, when God starts to call you and, and do something inside of you, it starts to stir the city inside of us. And that makes us uncomfortable. And many times we begin to say, that can't be Jesus because it feels so uncomfortable. But that's when we have to recognize that what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. He's not saying that about his external enemies. This is not justification for war. He's saying that about what goes on inside of us. I didn't come to make you comfortable. I, I didn't come so that you weren't stirred. I came to stir up all sorts of stuff inside of you. We've got to recognize that there's going to be a stirring when the Spirit of God starts to call you and move in you and starts to try to bring you from where you are and the home you've made into the home that he has for you. There's a stirring that is going on inside of us. But that's when the voice of Demetrius rises up. That's when the riot starts. Do you know that the word Demetrius means belonging to the earth or belonging to that which is natural? Man, that's the first thing that happens when we start to hear the voice of God, the things of God. He starts to woo us. The natural man starts to rise up. The things that are logical or reasonable start to rise up inside of us. We start to get this commotion start to go. How should I act? What should I do? Is this reasonable to believe in? Is this logical to believe Demetrius' voice starts the riot, and our mob mentality joins right in. Did you notice that it was, there was no riot before the word came? Come on, there was no riot before the word came. There was only a riot after the word came. That's why sometimes, sometimes, sometimes we can be good before we get to church. Like, we're good. And then we get to church, and the message gets all up in our business. And we're like, I'm not going back to church. Because, man, we're good until something happens. The word comes, 
and causes us to shift. We're, we're good at our workplace until God starts to do something at the workplace. Come on, somebody. And, and then, we, then we have to choose whether we're going to make a stand or not. Or maybe our kid or our spouse is starting to get more on fire for God. And we start to think, man, I was happy the way we were. I'm good. Enter the riot, the commotion, the natural man. This is a true story. When I was a youth pastor year, many years ago, I had a dad who was in church. I had a dad come to me and talk to me about his son. His son was a star athlete, came to youth group. And uh, he, he had made a switch in his heart. He started to follow Jesus. He was ardently following Jesus. And his dad came in and he said, I'm really concerned about my son. And I said, oh my gosh, is, is he in trouble? No, no, he's doing great. Is, are his grades failing? No, he's a straight-A student. Why are you worried? He said, I'm, this is true. I'm worried that his commitment to Jesus will distract him from sports. And that it will make him soft. Now, this dad was okay when his son was just so-so about Jesus. But when the spirit, be come on, but when the spirit began to stir, the commotion started to rise. And something inside of him changed. And that's what happens inside of us when we're not careful. The truth is, because we are afraid of change, or at least change we can't control, our soul will always magnify the threat to maximize the drama. Man, your soul loves drama. Man, I know people wear like no drama t-shirts. You're a liar. Your soul loves drama. Did you notice where they dragged them to? The theater. The center of drama. Why? Why do we love drama? Because it magnifies this, 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 this thought process of what's going to happen. How is it going to get done? What if God doesn't show up or it doesn't work? The voice of the mob. Uncertainty begins to arise. And the problem with drama is that drama always distracts us from the main message. Drama will allow frustration to reign so powerfully that confusion quickly follows. We get so frustrated in the midst of our Drama, that confusion is the next step. Have you ever, have you ever left a conversation <laughs> where, where you fought with the person? Like you were like, you were like, you were, you, 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 were, you were taking the earrings off, you were ready to go, right? And then you got home and you're like, what was I, what was the big deal? Why were we even arguing? Do you know why you were arguing? Because you didn't quiet the riot. You didn't quiet the riot. Your soul's voice became louder than the spirit's wooing. The spirit was trying to woo reconciliation. Your soul was magnifying the threat and causing drama. That's the trap. The reality is, my friends, the main message that God is calling us to isn't a what or a work or a miracle or a process. It's a person. It's a who. 
This is who. He's calling you to a who. That's why Demetrius changes the argument back to a who. Back to Artemis. The who he knew before the message came. The who he always could count on. The natural man inside of you and I will always call us back to the who we've been and the who who got us to where we are to discredit the who that the gospel's calling you to. That's the trap. The trap in the midst of all this rioting and commotion is this. That our soul always puts into question the character of God in order to justify staying in just a modicum of control. We will call into question the character and nature of God himself in all of our reason and logic, in all of how we're going to work this out as we try to put pieces together on how this is going to happen. We call into question the character of God himself. It's why when the spirit starts to move and we get uncomfortable that we minimize who God is in himself. That's why I love what Paul says to, in 2 Timothy chapter 1. He says this to Timothy, who's the pastor at Ephesus for many years. He says this, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard it until the day he comes back and gets me. Did you notice he said who, not what? I am not ashamed of who I have believed in. Not what I have believed for. Not what I believed in. I, I, my, my faith, my hope is built in somebody. My, my, my hope is in the goodness of my God, the faithfulness of my God, the, the worthiness of my God. My, my faith, my hope is built on the reality that God is not a man that he should lie. His word goes out. It does not come back void. It will do what it's called to do. My faith is in the name of Jesus, that his name is above every name. My faith is in the fact that he, I am a co-heir of Jesus Christ. I am the head and not the tail. By his grace, I have been set free. It's in a who, not in a what. Because when it's in a what, it gets back to us. What do I have to do? And the commotion gets louder and louder and louder. Man, I could believe for a miracle, but my hope is in the miracle worker. The trouble is, my friends, in the midst of all that commotion, the enemy will always sow confusion. Why? Because he's the author of confusion. We'll get, we end up so often like, John the Baptist at the end of his life. Do you remember John the Baptist? He, he's, like, he's the first believer. He preaches Jesus like he's fire. John's fire. Preaching Jesus. He's the first believer. Do you remember he's inside his mama's womb? Mary walks in with Jesus in her womb. And he, swoo, he, he stirs up. But at the end of his life, he's in jail. He's arrested. He's in a place he never thought he'd be. And the riot in his mind sets in. I thought it would be different than this if I did that for Jesus. I thought the end would look differently. Anybody on that TikTok thing? I saw it going differently in my mind. Right? John the Baptist in the jail cell. I saw that differently going in my mind. Uh. Sends his disciples out. Go ask Jesus, what's the deal? 
My friends, this is how we find ourselves so often. Arrested, locked down, locked up from taking steps of faith, from getting in intimacy with God, from saying yes to what he's calling us to and to the deeper relationship with himself, unsure, unmoving in the midst of the commotion. That's why the Apostle James, the pastor of the first church of Jerusalem, says this in James 1.8, a double-minded man is unstable in everything that he does. A double-minded man. When I've got one foot in one camp and one foot in the other camp, there can be no stability in the way that I approach my life. There's no peace. If there's no peace, there's no presence. Did you notice, by the way, in the midst of the confusion and commotion, it was then, it was then that, that the servants of God were taken captive. It's in the midst of our commotion, it's in the midst of our confusion, that what the servants of the word, what God is trying to do in us, gets taken captive and shut down. And we become locked up. But I love how Jesus responds to this question, this circumstance. In Luke 7, verse 22, he says, uh, dudes, go home and tell John who I am. Remind him who I am. Remind him that the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. Remind him of who I am. His circumstances may not look like he had hoped for them to look, but I didn't call him, to cha- I didn't call him so I could change his circumstance. I called him so that he could know the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I called him to me, not to a miracle. That's what I called him to. He brings them back to the who and that he is good. I think, my friends, the real issue that causes us so much commotion inside of our life is this matter of goodness and the belief that we're never going to be good enough. Or maybe God isn't. Demetrius' issue, I was sharing this with Ford's guys the other day. Demetrius' issue was not losing a few dollars. That's so trivial. In antiquity, what was really going on is, in antiquity, with cities that were dedicated to certain deities, like Athens to Athena, Ephesus to Artemis, where they had their temple, there was an ingrained belief in their citizens that the prosperity or the poverty of the city was directly proportional to the actions of its citizens. Therefore, if the citizens made the God happy, they'd be prosperous. But if the citizens messed up and didn't do right, then the wrath of the gods were coming. Come on, release the kraken, right? That's one of my favorite, that's the picture. And I know for some of us, it's easy for us to laugh. It's easy for us to look at that and say, man, that... They were just being intimidated into obedience. But this has become the trap of modern Christianity. This matter of goodness. Because we believe the same things as they did. The real issue for us today, the reason we have such commotion and confusion when God's trying to pull us into something or stir something in us, is we have the same belief system. That our prosperity and our, or our punishment is directly proportional to how happy our God is with us. Yeah. 
We believe the same things as the pagans believed. In Ephesus, we've just cleaned it up and tagged Christianity on the front of it. And we've become so worried about having to change our behavior and get it right or else. I am tired of living in the or else. The or else. The or else gives voice to the commotion. The or else justifies the riot. The or else. And it becomes paralyzing and threatening and unappealing because it's based off the wrong revelation. This happens all the time. Happened to me the other day. I wish I could say the other year. It was the other day. Something didn't work out the way that I was hoping it to work out. It was something important to me. And I hoped it would work out and it had bigger ramifications and it didn't work out. And my first response, my first response is what I do wrong. My first response is, should I have prayed more? I wonder what would have happened if I would have fasted. Should I have changed my approach to this? Anyone? And Danielle was like, you're an idiot. God's not trying to keep something good from you. you got to ask yourself, what did he save you from? What did he save you from? Because you think it would be a great. He's saying, what can I save you from? You're looking at your good from your mind. He's looking at you to be good to you. See, believers, my friends, live in the fear of having to be good. But disciples live in the faith that he is good. This is the thing we have to get right in our lives. It's the only thing that will keep us on solid ground. When the times around us get worse, when labor pains get more uh, severe, the only thing that will keep us with Jesus is this, that he is good. He's good. That's all I got. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 1, he's saying to this church, I'm sorry, Ephesus chapter 1, verse 18, he's saying to this church, listen, um, my prayer for you is that the eyes of your heart may be opened so that you know how to have hope, hope that's based in the grace of God. Get off your works, get off this mentality that you were raised in, that your God will punish you or prosper you based on how good or bad you are. Demetrius' whole life was lived off of this, if you read the story. A stone fell from heaven that they believed was from God. So they, they set up a temple and said, we better act right to the stone. And if we don't, the wrath of the God who sent the stone will be on us. That's the story. We live as believers in Christianity so often with the same mentality. Trapped by the two stones that the king of heaven sent down to Moses in the Old Testament. We only see a God of wrath. And we only see a God of judgment. And we only try to make sure that we obey, we are intimidated into obedience, because if we break any one of them, not realizing that we've already broken all of them, that if we break any of them, wrath is coming. No, you've already broken all of them. The Bible says if you break one, you're guilty of them all. We live under that same worry, not realizing that, yes, the law was sent from heaven, but then heaven himself stepped out and walked among us so that we would know what grace looks like. Grace, without wrath, there's no reason for grace. If God is not a God of wrath, then there's no reason for grace. Grace is impotent. 
But without grace, all we've got is the fear of wrath. Jesus rolled out in John 1, verse 17. The Bible says that the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came in Jesus. It's why discipleship is basing our faith in his grace, in him, in who he is, in grace itself, in grace made manifest. It's his grace that will quiet the riot inside of us. That's it. There's nothing else. I can't give you the five principles to get in peace. Here's the one principle. Him. That's all I got. Him. Just Him. His grace. Hundreds of years before Jesus was to come, the prophet Zechariah in chapter 4, verse 7, he says, man, look, there's a mountain coming. But say to the capstone that comes, grace, grace, grace. The capstone that he saw coming was the capstone of Jesus. And he said, man, when you stand in front of a mountain, remember that although the mountain is bigger than the capstone, the capstone will level the mountain with grace, grace, grace. We should be so encouraged by Romans chapter 4, verse 20. And the word of God says this when he's talking about Abraham's faith. And he says, Abraham did not waver in disbelief regarding the promises of God, but believed them. And it was accredited to him as righteousness. Now, that doesn't sound so encouraging because for some of us, we're like, dude, that sounds impossible. I can't do that. Until we recognize, until we recognize he didn't either. We're like, how do I have unwavering faith, pastor? How do I have unwavering faith? He didn't get it right. There's this whole thing with Hagar. Did we just overlook that? Faith doesn't need to be perfect. Faith just needs to be a persistent pursuit of the perfect one. That's what faith is. It's not based on perfection. It's based on this persistent pursuit. Abraham, even though he messed up, did not stop pursuing after God. We so often, oh man, I messed up. I, I can't believe it. And the mob has power. Stay with me. The mob has power because we worry our sins disqualify us from the miraculous, from the blessing of God, from the person of God. So we live in the prison of this commotion like John the Baptist locked away. But I've got great news for you. The same Paul that preached this message to the church of Ephesus that caused the problem Preach this message. In Romans chapter 5, verse 20, he said this. Where your sin abounds, and we all can go, amen, my sin abounds. Grace hyperabounds. It superabounds. That Greek word means it has no limit to it. That means there is no sin that is greater than the amount of grace that covers it. So why are we giving the mob's voice credence in my life as if my sin disqualifies me from the miraculous presence of my king? No matter how big or how small the stone size is that you throw into the sea, the sea drowns it. Now I know there's some philosophy student here who's going to say, yeah, but pastor, there could be a meteor that's bigger than the ocean that's going to come and it's going to be so big that the sea can't drown it. Ah. Uh, that's because you are misunderstanding. You are how you see a sea that has limits. Your sea is limited. It's limited by the fact that it's only two-thirds of the world's coverage. It's limited by the fact that it has a bottom. It's limited by the fact that it actually exists on the planet Earth. 
but my God is limitless. Therefore, the sea that he deals with has no bottom, has no size, and has no quantity of constraints to it. That's why Micah 7.19 says, My God can absolutely take my sin and throw it into the sea of forgetfulness, and the sea will drown it with its grace. Our problem is not that we have too big of a sin, it's that we have too small of a God. That's why Paul can write to this church who's going through this and then say, we have already, in verse 3, we already have every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. You already have it. He didn't say you got to work for it. It's a present conditional verse. You have already every blessing. Whether they are manifest in the natural yet or not, you've got them. It is not dependent on your actions to receive that which he has already promised. It is up to his goodness, his timing, and his purpose in your life. So I don't have to worry about how good I am. I only have to focus on how good he is. And when the commotion comes, and it does all the time, I don't have to remind myself of the track record of my goodness. I only have to stand in the truth of his. And that gives me peace. See, my friends, the reality is that grace empowers faith by laying it on the foundation of the works of Jesus, not the works of ourselves. Did you notice how the riot stopped? The riot stops in verse 39. When the magistrate rolls up, the authority shows up. And the authority comes in and he says, you have no legal right to constrain them. You've got no legal right to keep them. See those servants of God? You've got no legal right to keep them in prison. Do you realize that's what grace does to your sin? The blood of Jesus Christ flowed from the cross as a legal statement to deal with the legal ramifications of heaven. Grace shouts into our very lives, there is no legal right to, to constrain you from the person of God. There's no legal right to constrain you or hold you back from the promises of God. There's no legal right why the, the goodness of God cannot come into your life. There's no legal right. So the only thing that is keeping us in the theater of drama is the commotion in our heads. Grace, we received it, now apply it. When the crowd was quieted, God could move. The city was changed. The power of the Holy Spirit showed up when the commotion was quieted. We can't just talk about grace. We have to apply it. Every time inside of me, when my old works mentality, and look, if you were raised Catholic, if you were raised Baptist, if you were raised Methodist, if you were raised under so much thought process like that, it's in us. It's inbred in the city that we live inside of us. If I am not good enough, the wrath of God is on its way. It's not the New Testament. It's not the Bible. 
It's why Paul could write to the church of Ephesus and say grace and peace to you. Why? Because grace and peace are always tied together in the Bible. Always. Peace always follows grace. When I do not have peace, it's because I'm mishandling grace. When I find this commotion where peace isn't there, it's because somewhere along the way, I have my hands back off of grace and back onto works. Don't let the commotion keep you from what God is trying to do in you and through you and what he's trying to draw you to. There's always going to be commotion. Always. In every relationship, there'll be commotion. In every workplace, there's going to be drama. In every church, there's going to be rioting. Why? Because God's trying to do something there. And our soul loves the drama. But until we quiet the commotion, sometimes the thing God's trying to do stays dead on the side. The thing he's trying to rise up stays in a coma. There's this amazing moment in Mark chapter 5. When unfortunately a little girl is dead. And Jesus shows up the outside of her house. And it's filled with every kind of voice. I can imagine real people crying. Then there were people who were paid to cry. Then I'm sure there was somebody or a little group in the corner wondering what the parents did wrong. Come on. What did the parents do wrong that made this happen to their daughter? In the midst of this commotion, Jesus rolls up. And they try to shout him down. He literally stops and says, the girl's not dead. She's just asleep. And the Bible says such a commotion rose to try to keep Jesus out of the house. There's a dead girl. There's a miracle waiting to happen. There's a deeper revelation of who Jesus is that wants to come into that household. And the commotion on the outside is keeping Jesus from going deeper into the inside. And the Bible says he silenced them and got rid of the commotion. He sent them away. And he walks in with the mom and with the dad. He walks in. And he speaks to that child. And the dead become alive. It's not about the miracle. It's about the miracle worker. The greatest gift was not just the girl coming back from the dead. The greatest gift was that the miracle worker stepped into the house. And said, let me give you a little bit more of who I really am. Let me show you who I am. What would they have lost if they would have allowed the commotion to keep Jesus outside the house. They could have told the story that Jesus showed up. They could have told the story that they met him one day. They could have came to told the story that he cried with them when their daughter died. They could have had all sorts of stories about Jesus. But when he stepped into the house, they knew him differently. 
How often are we allowing the commotion of our lives to keep Jesus in the crowd rather than in the house? How much time have we wasted listening to the commotion that surrounds what God's trying to do in us rather than living in the direct connection with the God who wants to do something in us? We got to send the crowd away. We have to send the crowd away. We have to say to that mountain, grace, grace, grace. That mountain will rise up. You don't deserve it. Grace. What if God doesn't show up? Grace. What do I have to do? Grace. How about if not? Grace. What's going to happen? Grace. What do I have to change? Grace. How do I appease God? Grace. 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 Pastor Rick asks this question all the time when people show up at TKC. If God was to ask you today, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say to him? And time after time after time, the response is almost the same. Well, I've tried to be good. I've tried to, do, I've tried to be nice. I've, tried to, I've given to people. I've, I've tried to be a good person. If I broke one sin, I'm guilty of them all. The answer is, we'll never be good enough. But the truth is, he is. The only answer to that question is grace, 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 grace. I cannot afford to have a small God, no matter how big my sin is. Grace, it'll quiet the riot. And whether those spiritual blessings that are in Jesus show up on this side of the veil or on the other side of the veil, I'm okay. Because me coming to Jesus was never about getting something from him. It was simply about knowing all I could of him. Grace, 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 grace. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Worship, you guys come. We're going to worship after this for a Another moment. What seems like maybe such a basic message is the cause of so much pain in our lives. This constant commotion inside of us and confusion of what if and how good and what do I need to do and how can I trust? And what if it doesn't? Grace. 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 I'm not asking you to believe in a concept of grace. I'm asking you to believe in the person who is grace. The law was given by Moses. Grace came in Jesus. It's who he is. He's stirring in this room. He's been stirring in your life. Don't keep him on the outside with the crowd of commotion. Silence the crowd today. Open up your heart. 
Man, you may have been in church for 30 years, but have never actually silenced that crowd. Today's the day. You may have stumbled in for the first time today, wondering even if you were good enough to walk down that boardwalk, what God would think, what church would think if people actually knew. Silence that crowd, because that's not Jesus. Jesus is grace, grace, grace. Like with that girl who was lying dead on that bed, there's a Savior that wants to step in into the innermost part of your heart and reveal himself to you. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And you may have prayed this prayer with me a hundred times for someone else when we've prayed it in these rooms or in this church service. But today, can I encourage you to pray it for yourself? Speak grace, grace, grace over your life. Ask the God of grace to come in, to truly take over your life, truly to surrender. Today's the day to uh, place your trust in Him. All it takes is you to open your heart to him. So will you pray with me now? Just say, dear Lord Jesus, here I am today. I've come to give you all my life. I'm holding nothing back. I'm giving it all to you. I'm asking you, Jesus, that through your grace, that you will forgive my sin, that you will become my Lord, that you will fill me with your spirit, that you will give me your peace. Help me to walk this out. Silence the riot in my life. I choose today to live in your grace for your glory, trusting in you to make the difference. In Jesus' name, and together we say, Amen, and amen, and amen, and amen. Come on, can we just give God some glory for lives today that have changed. My friends, if you prayed that prayer today, maybe for the first time, or maybe this is a time that you deeply meant it, coming back to him. We've got a few books we'd love to give you. This is Pastor Rick right over here. Pastor Rick wrote two wonderful books, one for adults, one for teens and tweens, that just help you to understand what we talked about today. That this gift of salvation cannot be earned. It's not just salvation, though. This is where we go wrong. We're thinking, I know, I know I'm only saved by grace, but that everything else comes by my works. Nope, all comes by the same thing. Grace, 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 grace. Grace, 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 grace. That's what it comes by. It's trusting in his goodness and not my own. We'd love to give you these. If you made that decision today, don't leave without telling somebody. 
Don't leave without stopping and maybe talking to Pastor Ron or Pastor Irene, Pastor John back at the board, Pastor Kevin and Lisa, kids and family, Pastor Rick, just stop for a moment. Say, can we pray together? do one last thing before we worship you heard me talk today earlier about the Christmas toy store and that's gonna that gives us an opportunity to be generous and we here at connect we don't pass buckets around we're, 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 we're not uh, having ushers come down to make sure that you give an offering today an offering is freely given you can give lots of different ways today. You can give with uh, the envelopes that are there in the rows. You can give into those beautiful gold kiosks on the way out. You can give with your phones or set it up online, however you want to give. But can I be honest about giving? Giving is just an act of obedience, just like everything else. It's so funny that when we start to talk about giving in church, it's one of the biggest causes of commotion. Right? We start to talk about money and whoop, the riot starts going off. Reason, logic. No. I trust, if I can trust my God with my soul, I certainly can trust my God with my money. If I can obey him in giving him my life, I can obey him in giving him the first fruits of my wealth. Not because I have to, but because I get to. And I get to honor him with it. Honor the Lord. Honor the Lord. Your giving not only makes a difference in people's lives, your giving blesses the Lord. It honors Him every time we do it. So today, can I just encourage you as you give, don't just put it in, drop it in. Don't just kind of quickly go through it and push send. Man, as you put that envelope in, push send on that phone or on that computer, you say, Daddy, I'm honoring you with this. Father, I love you. I'm believing that this is putting a smile on your face. I'm believing that this is an, uh, that, that, that you've called me to give, to give and not just receive, to be a blessing and not just to be blessed. And we know that as I honor you, you honor us back. What a great God we serve. I'm going to ask you guys to stand with me. We're going to worship one more song together in response to this word. And if God touched you, if God spoke to you today, can I encourage you that as we begin to worship, to allow the Holy Spirit to do what he's trying to do inside of you. Today is a day of surrender to the grace and goodness of our God. Quiet the riot. Lift up holy hands and bless the Lord. For my God is a promise-keeping God. And faith is not dependent on our perfection, but simply on our persistent pursuit of the person called Jesus. Come on, let's worship him together.
friends, may that song be the meditation of your heart this week. May that be the cornerstone that you build your life upon. That Jesus is the anchor in the midst of every storm. His love is for you and not against you. His grace can never run dry. The size of his sea of forgetfulness is limitless. And that he is a faithful God. May you go now, walking in that peace, walking in that certainty and that assurance that if God is for you, who cares who's against you? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face continue to shine upon you. May you know him this week like you never have before. May you feel his presence wooing you deeper into a relationship with him. And may you not keep him in the crowd of commotion, but bring him into the presence of your heart. God bless you, church. I love you. Transform our world one life at a time. Amen? Amen. I'll see you next week. God bless you. Awesome.